Good morning. If you will, please stand. We're going to begin with singing There's Lord Jesus this morning. times I share stories about my mother without her permission and she's not in here today but she specifically asked me to share this and it just so happened that we didn't have quite enough choir members to real confidently sing the song I wanted us to sing this morning and and it just kind of played itself out so I'm gonna sing a, a prayer medley but I've got to share the story from my mom first so my mom got hearing aids like a year ago and the first day we were in the car she was like what is that noise and I was like your blinker she's like I had no idea it did that like that's that's the level we're at with these hearing aids well I went to camp the first week of July and when I came back I found out mom had lost her hearing aids so we're talking July 1st and she it's just it's not been good you know it's been a you know just aggravating because it's something she had and now she hasn't and so she goes, she keeps two little boys, a two-year-old and three-year-old, and I've decided she's kind of the Hardy's entertainment in the mornings because she takes these two boys, and, you know, they're crazy, and all the people, you know, all the people like to talk to her and the boys. And she said, there's this woman, and just like that song just said, she said she just saw Christ in her. 
and, and mom just has kind of started talking to this lady over the mornings that they go eat at Hardy's. And so she was there this past Monday, and mom and her were talking, and mom said, you know, I need to ask you to pray for something. Because um, my mom's always, when Neil talks about inviting people to church, mom always kind of, you know, tugs at herself for that to say, I'm so bad to not only just invite people to church, but even ask people to pray for stuff or just to, you know, talk about the Lord is hard. And so she asked this woman, she said, I have a silly prayer request. She said, I can't find my hearing aids and I can't, we can't get more right now. She said, will you pray that I find my hearing aids? And in Hardy's, that woman said, we're going to pray right now. She said, can I, can I hold, can I hold your head? And mom said, the woman placed her hands on mom's ears, and she said she prayed. And mom said she just was like, whoa. Like, it was kind of more than mom expected. And it was, it was over, you know, mom was like, I kind of thought maybe I shouldn't have done this because we're in Hardy's. And this woman's like screaming out in prayer, man, and she's holding my ears. And so, long story short, I was sick this week, and I happened to stay at their house one night because I was sick. And mom, the next morning, um, I went and got in my car. And I had a lot of trash in my floorboard, and I was like, what in the world? So I, you know, put all my trash in a bag. Well, come to find out, my mom had cleaned my, she had scrummaged through my car, thinking my, maybe my hearing aids had gotten in, her, in my truck. Well, I was picking those water bottles up in the floorboard. In plain sight was her hearing aids. And I said, holy moly, you know. And so mom's coming home with the boys. I said, mom, I have a surprise for you. And she's like, oh, okay. I said, you're going to cry. And she was like, no. So, you know, before she even gets out of the car, the boys are in the back seat. And I was like, do you want to see Vivi get excited? And so I told mom, I said, all right, mom. And I said, close your eyes, put your hand out. And I put the hearing aids in her hand. And she said, we're going to pray right now. And we, you know, and the little boys, we pray with them. And so it was such a blessing. But, you know, as the song says, it just reminds us, like, God cares about everything in our life, whether it's lost hearing aids, whether it's students we're going to teach the upcoming year, whether it's what Sunday school class we need to be plugged into. Um, so my encouragement to you this morning is, is to turn to him in prayer for your every need.
I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone, Jesus stand and worship together again in Christ alone. Father God, Lord, what a gracious God you are to be a God that cares about our every need, to be a God who sends your son to die for us so that we can always come to you, Lord, so that there would be no divide and no separation, Lord, but always a way for us to turn to you, God, because you do want to be our compassionate friend if we just trust in you and allow you to be that role in our life, God. So Lord, this morning, whatever burdens we have in our life, whatever's laying on our heart that we need to instead lay down to you, God. Lord, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, Lord, let us be dependable on you. And let us know that any anything, whether we think we have it or not, God, Lord, truly you are in control. 
Lord, we just praise you and thank you so much just for allowing us this fellowship and worship to honor and glorify you this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you receive all honor and glory, and I pray that you open our hearts as we study your word. Lord, speak through Pastor Neil this morning and have your way. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray so much. Amen. time children's church volunteers and children may exit and the rest of us turn to first peter chapter four beginning with verse one we'll read through verse 11 and as deacon jackie wayne pointed out today as as i do most days i have three points but i got a feeling jackie worked through his a lot quicker than i'm going to work through mine and, oh, wow. Well, there you go. The congregation's going to be like, give us more Jackie Wayne, okay? Um, and then Catherine. Thank you, Catherine, for that, that story about your mom. You know, we've been in First Peter for a couple of months now, and there is a verse to go with the sermon she just shared. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That's First Peter Five, seven. You ought to memorize that one. We'll get to that one in a couple of weeks. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He is intimately acquainted with all your ways and he cares about every detail and every aspect of our lives. Right down to our hearing aids. Amen. What a, what a nice story on prayer. And um, Hey, she said that lady grabbed her mom by her ears. Did you catch that? So there was some laying on of hands there. So anyway, I, I was very touched by that. And, and thank you, Jackie, for emphasizing the need to gather in Sunday school and small groups to study the Word. Okay, we're going verse by verse through First Peter. Those of you who regularly attend, you know this already. So we are transitioning this morning from chapter 3 to chapter 4. But I do want to read verse, 30, verse 22 of chapter 3. Because chapter 4 begins with one of those heavy words, therefore. Okay? Larry, you pointed out this last week. Okay? So we're talking to everybody this morning. All right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And here's what we have before us. Now that Christ has been raised from the dead, how shall you live? Are you going to live? I mean, we face this choice every day. Are you, and here are the two choices. Are you going to live a God-centered life? Is that going to be the course of your life? Or are you going to choose a self-centered or man-centered life? Those are the only two options available. There are just two courses available. The, the Bible emphasizes this. There, there are two ways. There are two paths. There's one that leads to life and there's one that leads to destruction. There's the way of the flesh, there's the way of the spirit. There's the kingdom of darkness, there's the kingdom of light. I hate to see the summer end. We've had a great summer. One of my tough decisions that I make almost every summer is where to play putt-putt golf. <laughs> my two favorite courses in the Panama City Beach area are Goofy Golf, which I think has been around since 1954, no lie. The other one's Power Island, so you can go old school or you can go new school. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get to the desk and I'm buying my putters and my golf balls, one of the decisions you're faced with related to putt-putt golf at those particular courses are, which course would you like to play? <laughs> the one to the right or the one to the left? Now, some of you may be like, well, I don't care. Either course is fine with me. That's not the case with me. I scope out the courses as I pull into the parking lot, and I say to myself, which one is more crowded? I usually choose the course that's less, less crowded because I've got several kids with me. Or it may be that last summer we played the course to the left. Let's do the course to the right. Or it could be, I remember that the course to the left is pretty easy to me. <laughs> the course to the right is more difficult. Let's go play the course on the left. 
I'm just sharing that illustration to let you know that once you choose a course, you're on that course. Now, as I read this text, Peter is laying before us two courses. And I'm just simply asking myself and all of us this morning, which course are you on? He clearly outlines two ways, two paths, and I hope to point this out. Back to the text, 1 Peter 3.22, he talks about Jesus and he says this, He is at the right hand of God and he has gone into heaven after angels, authorities, and powers had been subjected to him. That's where we ended last week. He rules over every power, every authority. He has subdued them through his surrender and his submission, his suffering and his death. And God has vindicated him and raised him above all powers, all authority. Why do you mention that, Preacher Neil? Because look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, therefore, in light of that reality, who Jesus is and what he's done, he says, since Christ, and I'm reading from verse 1, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time, the rest of your life, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. There are your two courses. The lust of men, and all that that leads to, or the will of God, and all that that entails. And then in verse 3, then he says this, For the time already is past. Look, you've had enough time in this already. It's sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles or the pagans, the godless. They're living in a godless culture. So he says, don't be like them. Then he says, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries it's a list of vices how the world lives apart from God he says in verse 4 and in all this they are surprised they're shocked that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you but they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for the good news, the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, each one has received a special gift. Employ it, put it to work in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, this is the last word of the text this morning, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for laying out before us how you expect and how you desire and demand that we live in light of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. We too, like the Christians Peter was writing to, are faced with godlessness and temptation all around us. Our time is limited. Our life is a vapor. Father, enable us, empower us to choose wisely how we will live with the precious time you've given us. 
Father, we need your forgiveness. We need your strength and grace and your power to be able to live God-centered lives for the pull from the world, the flesh, and the devil is constant and it is strong. May you empower us this morning through your word to live in such a way that Christ and you, Father, and your spirit would be glorified in and through us, that we would be salt and light in this fallen, sinful world, and that we would shine so that others may come to know you and to glorify you as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I need strength and grace to live a God-centered life rather than a self-centered life because by nature we are curved in on ourselves. Now what Peter tells us is that God through His Word and His Spirit and His church has given us some resources to enable us to live lives that will glorify Him. One of the things I want to point out is that this text is God-centered. In other words, just reading through this text reminds you there is a God, you are accountable to Him, you're created by Him, He loves you, and He has called you to Himself to know Him and live for His purposes. We're no longer to live for the lusts of men, which we are very familiar with, but instead, look at verse 2, the will of God. He talks in verse 3 about the course of the Gentiles and the pagans and how they live. But he says in verse 6 that those who are dead, who believed in the gospel, they're going to live according to the will of God. He continues his God-centered thinking and preaching and teaching with verse 10 that we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In verse 11, we are to speak with the utterances of God. And then in verse 11, we are to work and serve with the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So just in the reading, he turns my mind and my heart away from me and my world to God. That's step one. And then as he does that, he tells us how to live the rest of our lives. And he gives us our reason for living, and that reason is, is God. Someone was once asked, what is the purpose of man? Why are we here? And the answer historically has been, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I need reminding of that. Why am I here? I'm here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. A lot of us live the way Christopher Columbus lived or sailed. You've heard me use this little parable before that when he left, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he returned back, he didn't know where he'd been. <laughs> Do you ever think about why you're here? If you ask me to meet you at a certain time and place... I might say, why would you like to have this meeting? Because my time and my space is precious to me. What's our reason for getting together? Well, on a much larger scale, have you ever thought, what is your reason for being here? Why are you in this space and in this time? And I know we move day to day with work and school and grocery store and paying bills, and we're just running like rats. Do we ever stop and think, why are we here? What are we doing? Where have we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Peter challenges us to think about these things and to put God at the center of our lives. Now, God has done something in this text, I think, that helps me and helps you to live a God-centered life since it comes so unnatural to us and the people we are surrounded by. So, like Jackie, I've got three points, and he's finally getting to them. Number one... God has armed us with a purpose. God has armed you with a purpose. Now, that word armed is a military term where you might say to someone, don't mess with me, I'm armed. What does that mean? That means you're equipped. 
And you're equipped and you're, you're, you're powerful. In, in fact, you may be a bit dangerous, all right? Peter says, since Christ is above all and since he suffered for you, you need to arm yourself because you're in a war with the same purpose that Christ had. Well, Peter, what did Christ do? Well, Peter knew it because he saw it. Jesus armed himself with the purpose that he was willing to suffer in the flesh for the sake of righteousness. In other words, Christ was armed with the purpose of completely fulfilling the will of God, no matter what it cost him. That's how Jesus subdued Satan and all these powers that are referenced in chapter 3. How did he subdue them? By arming himself with the will of God. He followed the Father's plan, no matter what it cost him, no matter what he had to sacrifice. So when you want to know how to live your life and how to use your body and your time, listen, go to the wilderness and see Jesus for 40 days and nights fasting on your behalf in order to defeat Satan. See him in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering and sweating drops of blood in order to say to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. See him on Calvary, suffering and dying, first under the hands of Pontius Pilate and the Romans, and dying for you and me so that he could say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then Peter saw through the resurrection that this was the right course. That's the course to play. Even though initially it causes suffering and it causes malignment and it causes alienation and people may call you strange and weird and goofy and who knows what, but you're willing to go that course, you're willing to arm yourself mentally and with an attitude and heart that I'm willing to go that course because I see where that course ends. It ends with glorification. Resurrection, vindication. And Peter learned this the hard way. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus? Who was it? Pulling out his sword? <laughs> oh, Peter was armed. <laughs> and Peter immediately just takes his sword and whacks off a soldier's ear who had come to arrest Jesus. See, Peter thought that this world was all there was. And this kingdom now was all he wanted. And he wanted Jesus to take over now. He didn't want suffering. He didn't want the cross. He told Jesus, that's, that's not the right way. And Jesus said, Peter, you're thinking like Satan. Get behind me because I'm going to fulfill the will of the Father. Jesus was armed with a purpose, but Peter thought, I need to be armed with a sword. So when Peter cuts off the, the soldier's ear, what does Jesus do? He heals the ear. <laughs> What a greater power. The supernatural power of, of love and of God and of healing. So when Peter tells you people and me to arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ, Peter knows the difference between being armed with the willingness to suffer and being armed with something else that you come up with and that you make. Peter says, no, trust me. If you want to defeat sin, that's what he's saying in verse 1 then you need to die to yourself and die to your flesh and die to your reputation. And you need to live the rest of your life no longer for the lust that you have because Peter had his own self-centered, self-glory lust and he was after it. In fact, eventually it led to his fall, didn't it? Gosh, why did he deny Jesus three times? Because he was scared. He was scared of what other people thought. And he was scared of his body being harmed and, and going the way that Jesus had gone. So Peter speaks from revelation and from personal experience. Look at verse 3. Peter says, look, the time's already over. It's past for you to live for yourselves and your pleasure and your lust. And he gives this list of sin in New American Standard. Some of your versions have different words where I have a sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. I can hardly say the word abominable. I struggle with that one, and you notice that. But Peter says, look around you, Christians. You're tempted in difficult times to live like the pagans. 
In fact, you used to live like that, and God called you out of that. And as he describes verse 3, I says, what is this, you know, animal house, A.D. 62, 63? And that's what he's picturing. Because he knows when you're suffering, and when you're hurting, and when you're fearful, you're tempted to go back and play the old course. But as we did Wednesday night, we need to ask about the old course and these specific sins that Peter lists. What we asked Wednesday night when we were talking about the pursuit of holiness and how to mortify the flesh and mortify our sin. Is the course in verse 3, which starts with sensuality and lust, is that helpful? Mentally, physically, and spiritually? No, these are not helpful. Do these things bring me under their power? Yes, they do. They leave me, my apologies, like the hyenas in the Lion King. <laughs> Anybody seen the Lion King? In the Lion King, the hyenas, Mr. Joe, are never satisfied. Never. And your lust and your appetite for sin only increases as we engage in this. Peter knows this. Peter has experienced this. Do they bring me under their power? Yes. Do they hurt others? Yes, often. Do they glorify God? No. They're excessive. They're wasteful. It's not how we should live. The eyes of man are never satisfied. That void will never be filled by playing this old course. He said earlier in 1 Peter 2.11 to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against your soul. So he's saying I need to arm myself with a purpose of a Christ-like attitude that's willing to suffer and willing to suffer for righteousness to put an end to sin to exchange the course of the old self for the better, more eternal course of the new self. As, as Paul outlines in Galatians 5, it's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And all of this is in order to please God and glorify Him. Make a difference in the lives of others. And so when I'm tempted by difficulty and suffering as these Christians were. This is a theme throughout the book. I will choose to be armed to fight in order to go God's way. A Christ-like attitude of being willing to suffer and turn my back on the world. Though none go with me, I still will follow. All right, first God arms us with a purpose, and then there's another portion here that we need to talk about. God empowers us with a perspective. He empowers us with a perspective. So if you're armed with a purpose that I'm going to live for Christ and I'm willing to suffer for Him, therefore I'm ready to do battle. But then He doesn't just leave us there. He shows us the future. And He tells you, if you want to get the most out of your life and live a God-centered life, then you need to know where you're going. You need to know where you're heading. Because in verse 4, these people that you may separate from and go a new way from, the pagans and the Gentiles... And I'm not saying not have relationships or friendships with these people. I'm just saying you don't indulge in what they indulge in so that you can glorify God and so that you can make a difference in their lives. But he's saying, look, they're shocked that you don't run with them. But then he says in verse 5 something that all of us need to hear. What is in verse 5? Ah, the future. Sin rarely leads us to consider the future. So Peter says, think about where all this is going. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's a future judgment. How will you stand before God and answer for the life that you've lived, the days that you've had? Your life is a vapor and a mist. Where are you going? When you stand before God, what will you say about the life you've lived? And then he says in verse 6, and this is a strange verse. 
The gospel has been preached to those who are dead. How is the gospel preached to the dead? The NIV is helpful here because it informs us, and I believe this is the correct translation, that the gospel is preached to those who already died. And those who already died and who believe the gospel, by the Spirit of God, they shall live. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important to Peter's readers because one of the arguments against the life of holiness is that, well, the the Christian dies just like the pagan dies. We all die. So let's eat, drink, and be merry because we're all going into the ground anyway, right? So why not live indulgently and selfishly and greedy and lustful and so forth and so on? Why not do that if we're all going to the same place? Peter says, wait, we're not all going to the same place. There is a judge who has already judged righteousness and what he has shown you that in Christ there is a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And those who believe the good news of Jesus, they will live on eternally in the Spirit. Aha! If this life is all there is, then it doesn't matter what you do. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry. But if we're going someplace... If there is a God and there is eternal life and he's shown us that in Christ, then how I live today matters much in the scope of eternity because the Bible tells me I can't so much as give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple and lose my reward. God's looking down. He's gauging and judging. And there is a future element to this and your life is a vapor and it's a mist. And here's the other catch. You don't know when it's over. So what course are you on? In other words, when you finish number 18 on your putt-putt course, just to stay with the analogy, where will you be when you get where you're going? Now, we're getting ready for school. I asked permission to share this illustration of my 14-year-old Jake. We drive near Carrollton High School where Jake's about to enroll as a ninth grader. And it's just me and Jake, and we're driving down 27, headed south in Carrollton, and the school's over there to the right, and Jake looks at me one morning this week with a gleam in his eye, and he says, Dad, he says, I'm going to be a ninth grader this year. <laughs> and you have to know Jake, but then he followed that up with, I'm going, I'm, I'm getting there, Dad. I'm getting there. And I couldn't help but chuckle because then I laughed. I said, Jake, you're getting there. I was like, okay, where are you going to be when you get there? <laughs> like, what is this there? And it's, a, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? One of my favorite comics of all time is the country comedian Jerry Clower. You know Jerry Clower? When he was a student at Mississippi State University years ago, I've heard his personal testimony He said that on campus, he saw a sign one time that said, Where will you be when you get where you're going? And he said at that point in his life, he surrendered his life to Christ so that he would know where he would be when he got where he's going. You and I are just like Jake. (laughs) I'm getting there, you know? I'm getting there. You know what my granddad used to say, Baptist minister? Because we're all rushing, but we're rushing to judgment day. And you really can't live until you're prepared to what? To die. Because it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this is the judgment. Well, Peter's Christians, were they, they were trying to say no to sin and live to righteousness. And the group of pagans were saying, you people are nuts. You better have as much fun as you can while you can live it up. And Peter would have agreed with them, except for one truth, one central truth, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which proves there's a judgment of both the living and the dead. And when you and I stand before God, we will give an account for the life that we have lived. Now, here's the thing. Well, let me close with, with, with the plan, because I've, I've given you a whole lot of the, the perspective. All right, so, so let me rewind. God has, God has armed you with a purpose. Number two, he's empowered you with a perspective. 
And that is the perspective of the risen Christ and what that gave to Peter and what he then passed on to the church. But the third thing, and this really, I may need to take this next week and preach it because this is the life we should live. Okay, if we're to say no to that, then tell me what I am to do with my life. If you're going to so-called take all the Gentile ways out of me, then what does God desire for me to do? And that really is what he lays out in verses 7 through 11. Well, the end of all things is at hand, so what should we do? Martin Luther was asked that question one time. If this was the last day of your life, what would you do? He said, well, I would plant a tree and I would pay my taxes. That sounds like an odd answer, but what he was saying was that he would continue the course that he was already on. What course are you on? Neil, what are you talking about this course? Here it is. You ought to be a person of prayer. In other words, what he says in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7, is the reason you want sound judgment and the reason you want sober thinking is so that when you get on your knees before God, you know who He is and what it is that He is calling you to call upon Him for. In other words, you're going to follow what we teach our children, Acts, A-C-T-A-S. I'm going to adore Him in prayer. I'm going to confess my sins in prayer. I'm going to give thanks to Him in prayer. And I'm going to give supplication for the needs of others around me in prayer. What am I going to do with my life and my time? I'm going to have intimacy with God. I'm going to get along with him and his word, and I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to know him, and I'm going to walk with him. I'm also going to be a person of love. I'm going to have fervent love, which is a love that, that stretches itself out. Boy, if there's a beautiful verse which displays the gospel, to me, it is in verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sin. Genesis chapter 3, God kills an animal and covers covers Adam and Eve and the insufficient coverings that they have. Jesus, His love, His sacrifice, His atonement covers all our sins so that we can say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Why? Because His love, His blood covers all my sin. So I'm to be equipped with a plan. And pour myself out completely into this course, the course of Christ, which is the will of God by being a person of prayer and love. What about hospitality? And notice this about hospitality. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Ah, he knows us well, doesn't he? So-and-so's coming over. Oh, it's Larry Teeter. Oh, God. I got you, Larry, because you were listening. Lock the door. It's Larry Teeter again and his wife, Sandy. Clean up. No, be welcoming without complaining. Why? Because God has opened the kingdom up to you and me. In spite of the fact that we are sinful and evil and wicked. So this is the course of Christ. That he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That he loved us with an everlasting love that covers all our sin. So I stretch out my love and cover other people's sins, not in order to atone for them, but to forgive as God has forgiven me. I become hospitable. hospitable. I do something else. I serve other people with my gift. You have a gift. This verse proves that you have at least one gift. The spiritual that's to be used to glorify God and others. Some of you need to serve. And he says, do this with the strength God provides. Some of you need to speak. And you need to speak the utterances, the words of God. Ultimately, the good news of Christ and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And we do all of this so that in all things, God will be glorified through Christ and to him belongs all glory, dominion, forever and ever. So here's the plan. Here's what God does. He, he arms you with a purpose. He empowers you with a the perspective. Then he, he equips you with a plan. What shall we do? Pray, love, welcome, serve, speak. And as you do this, God is magnified through Christ. 
Why does he mention through Christ? Well, because if you're like me, you read through this text and you say to yourself, if I'm going to live a God-centered life rather than a self-centered life, there are two things I desperately need. I need forgiveness because I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of his purpose for my life. I need to be forgiven past, present, and future. I need, I need everlasting love that will hold me and never let me go and never let me stray off this course. The second thing I need is transformation. I need to be changed. I need a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude. God in His grace will also not only forgive you, but He will change you from the inside out as you trust in His love, walk with Him daily. He will transform. That's how, it's like one of our students, I'll close with this. One of our students in a conversation we had at youth camp last week simply said this, recognizing this person did their sins and their failures. They said, I just want God to be pleased with me. I, I just want to please him, and I want him to be pleased with me. Do you know that Peter felt the same way? That he had denied Christ? And in John chapter 21, Jesus forgave him, and Jesus empowered him. And you know what Jesus told him to do? If you love me, what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, I love you. I've forgiven you. And I'm empowering you to do what we are reading this morning. Well, how, can be God, how can God be pleased with a sinner like me and sinners like you? He sees us in Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I'm what? I'm well pleased. I believe with all my heart that the gospel includes... The fact that God's favor toward you is equal to the favor that he has on his son because he sees sinners like me and you in Christ. Uh, that's how I can glorify God with my life. It's through Christ. It's through Christ and Christ alone. His forgiveness. His transformation. Peter was on that course. Are you on that course as well? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your love, part of which includes the words you've spoken to us through Peter. May we all take this to heart. May we know that in Christ is forgiveness for where we have failed to meet your demands because you are light and in you is, is, is no darkness. Not only do you provide forgiveness and grace through the blood of Christ, but you provide a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind, so that daily we can progress with this new plan, this new course of, of doing the things Peter called us to do, to be praying, to be welcoming, to be serving, to be speaking, to be discovering the gifts that you've given to us and how we might use them to edify the church, to glorify God and to share the gospel with non-believers. Father, this is a great task, but you are more than enough and more than sufficient, and so is your grace. So may we arm ourselves and, and, and fight apathy, fear, laziness, sin, whatever it may be. God, do this work in each of us this morning during this time of invitation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, I Surrender All. As we sing this invitation, if you have a decision to make public related to Christ, please come forward and share that with me. I'll share that with our church. I will pray with you. If you desire to join our church, as we sing, you come. Let's sing it together. I surrender all.
be seated and we'll now take our offering. Grateful for our ushers as they come forward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We just thank you that your love and your mercy and your grace is never ending. Uh, even when we stray off the course, you still love us, and you're, you're there pushing us back onto the course that's going to lead us to eternal life. Thank you for all the many blessings that you've given us this last week. Thank you that we made it through the week. We just ask that you prepare us for the upcoming week. Continue to lead us, guide us, and direct us in all your ways. Lord, one of the ways we can stay on the course is what we're doing right now. We're returning back a portion of, of the money that really belongs to you, Lord. So we just humbly give it to you, Lord. We just pray that you use it to increase your kingdom. Of all the things that we're thankful for, Lord, we're most thankful for the sacrifice that your son, Jesus Christ, performed on the cross to guarantee our eternity in heaven with you. And it's his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 